The information contained in this podcast is provided for your general information only. It does not give medical advice or engage in the practice of medicine. This massage podcast under no circumstances recommends particular treatment for specific individuals and in all cases recommends that you consult your physician or local treatment center before pursuing any course of treatment. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to the Massage Podcast. I'm your host, Dawn Adkins, along with Elaine Kalenda, our expert in massage, and Jorge Cisneros, our producer. We are a podcast about massage for massage therapists, creating a community where people can go and talk about everything body work. And we, this is episode 34, so there's obviously lots to talk about and lots of things we haven't talked about yet. So welcome, and if you need to give us a call for any reason, you can do so at 303-656-9860. You can visit our website, massagepodcast.com, and send us a message on our contact page. Come chat live with us during our recordings, and follow us, of course, on Facebook and Twitter. So today we are talking to Michael Hamm from Seattle, Washington, and his website, neurofascia.com, is fascinating. And I'm going to go ahead and let Mike introduce himself and maybe tell us what neurofascia is. Hi, Michael. Hey, Lainey, Donnie, Jorge. Um, uh, so, yeah, my name is Mike. Uh, and uh, I'm a massage therapist in Seattle, as you said. Uh, I teach here in Seattle at, uh, at uh, what is still called Cortiva Institute Seattle, and, uh, and I also teach continuing education in uh, the realm of massage research uh, and in uh, what I call neurofascia, which is, uh, which is this, this anatomical relationship between uh, nerves and means of connective tissue in the body, and sort of a treatment approach based on that. Wonderful. And is that sufficient? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The reason why I, why I thought of having you on the show today, Mike, uh, was because, you know, we've met only a couple of times and I've been very impressed. Going back to 2005 when you won the student uh, contest for your case report, um, and I forget which, which um, where we were at. It was an AMTA convention, I think, where uh, you did your yeah, presentation. It, it, uh, it, was, it, was it was an AMTA. It was actually the first highlighting massage research conference. It was the first research conference put on by the Massage Therapy Foundation, and it was directly following the AMTA convention in uh, in Albuquerque in 2005. That's right. Okay. Now I remember. Now suddenly I remember everyone who was there and what we were doing. And um, so, yeah. So, you know, and I what I wanted you to talk about today, uh, among other things, and the work that you're doing yourself, and, and then we'll get into a little bit about teaching, but before all of that is that we really, I mean, you impressed upon me last time we met um, how much or how little case study uh, publication has been done in massage therapy. So I wanted you to talk to the folks about that because I, I want to make practitioners, both student and massage practitioners out there aware of this. Uh, could you talk a little yeah. bit about that? At the time, there were only 10 published. So what are we up to now? Well, you know, it, it depends a little bit on how you 
how you search for it, you know, and what and what exactly you're looking for. There are there are some case studies that are out there published about massage or about manual therapy, not necessarily published by a massage therapist. Uh, but that's a big difference uh, mm-hmm. because the case report is uh, the best way and the most kind of grassroots way for regular massage therapists to let the whole world know how they work, how they think in their bodywork practice, and to kind of report on what's going on in the massage room. It's the best way for that kind of experience in the massage treatment room uh, to be made accessible and explicable to folks in the research world, folks who are uh, concerned about integrative health care, so other physicians or referring colleagues out there, uh, and also for other massage therapists. Uh, this is a way for us to communicate uh, what we're doing in a way that's kind of universally accessible. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, and this was this is a huge thing that the the, the foundation and, and other folks, you know, looking at where we are as a profession, identified as kind of a linchpin, sort of a, a stimulus for everything that follows, is the ability of regular massage therapists, folks with just the basic training in massage, uh, to be able to. Uh, to take experiences in their practice uh, that are compelling, experiences that are mysterious or interesting, and make them, you know, write them up into a short report and then send them to publication. Exactly. So that's what a case uh, report is. You follow a that's person. What a case report is. Yeah. Yeah. So ideally, uh, eight, eight to ten treatments <clears throat> or a period of six weeks working with an individual. And then, you know, taking good notes all the way throughout and to the point where you can um, put together a scientific uh, research-based paper and uh, report what your findings are. Uh, we need a lot of exactly. those. So, and the most typical, yeah, you know, like, and like you said, the most typical arrangement is you've got a single, a single client and, uh, and you do a treatment series. That you know, you sort of identify some goals, you pick some things to measure, uh, you report those things, uh, and then and try and make sense of it uh, on paper. Uh, but I've seen case reports that have been just a single session. I've seen case series where you've got a number of clients uh, with with multiple, you know, like usually organized around one condition. Like you know, a couple of years ago, I was thinking about doing case series because I had a run of clients with sciatica, and I thought, oh, this is interesting, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll kind of look at them as a group. So there's quite a lot of possibility within that framework. But uh, to your point, Elaine, uh, in a healthy kind of healthcare industry, in, in any kind of research literature, what you'd like to have is hundreds of case reports mm-hmm. every year right. published and read and generating all of the research that comes out of that, all of the pilot studies, all of the randomized trials, meta-analyses, because it ensures that those higher-level studies actually represent what's being practiced out in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last time I searched, which was a couple weeks ago, I think I found a dozen massage case reports yeah. published by a massage therapist. So, you know, there might be a couple more out there, but it's not that many. It's, in, it's incredibly few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that means that if, you know, if, you, if everyone on the phone right now you know, the four of us published, you know, one case report a year. We very quickly doubled that total. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Yes, it is. 
it really drove it home for me. When you said that, I was just like sitting there going, you've got to be kidding. And then when I came home and I started to look for individual case reports, there were so few that it's, it would, and in one way it's sad and in one way it's exciting. And I'm always trying to urge my students to, um, you know, they have to do the case report anyway for class. And I always urge them to, um, to, to write to, to write it very scientifically and to send it in. And we've had a couple of winners. We've had a, a first prize winner years back, and then we had a third prize winner just uh, last year. And I'm trying to just use that to also to motivate students to turn in their papers because they do such great work. They get such great results. It might as well be published. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, for me at least, it's definitely, I definitely see it more as an exciting thing uh, than a sad thing. You know, it's not an easy thing we're trying to do as a profession to right. really kind of up our collective expertise uh, in this research world while not losing our heart in, in this amazingly compassionate artistic work that we do. Uh, oftentimes when you have teachers in massage school, this is a focus of mine, is really, uh, you know, working with massage teachers, uh, we're being asked to teach things that we ourselves feel like we're not expert in. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, like they liken it to trying to build a car while also driving it. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it, it's tough, and it's also um, it, it's also a question of like where do you start? So the foundation really built these two contests. Uh, one contest is the student case report contest. That's the one that I entered when I was a student, uh, and uh, and then there's the practitioner case report contest for regular therapists out there, and. And what they do is they kind of, you know, they set prizes and they have very step-by-step guidelines that allow uh, that allow somebody who's just individually motivated uh, to go out and, and, and do their own case report. And you've got uh, teachers like you, Elaine, who, who have, you know, case report curricula in massage school um, uh, that, that take everyday massage students and have them really enfold their learning into this case report process. Right. Uh, Mike, what was your case report about? Uh, my case report was, uh, you know, usually a, a sort of casting about for something to write about, and usually you can look for, you know, some pathology or some population or some modality of massage that you want to learn more about. Sort of focus your study on that, uh, and and I was really just kind of didn't really know what to do, so I, I contacted one of my teachers and said got any ideas, and it turned out that one of my classmates had an interesting situation going on. She had uh, she had thoracic outlet syndrome, so, you know, nerve compression in the, in the, in the shoulder complex going down into the arm. Um, that was uh, happening in connection with, or at least at the same time as, uh, scoliosis and, uh, and some pain at the rib heads, so costovertebral dysfunction. So I, I really looked at those three in concert. Um, and my, my basic question was, here are three conditions that are typically treated as somewhat separate, um, but the advantage of massage is that you can treat them in tandem. In one session, you can really try and address them uh, in connection to each other, and is that an advantageous approach? And that was really my case report. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And now, I'm sure... You would like to talk about neurofascia as well and your website and classes that you offer. Could you maybe tell us a little more about neurofascia and how that works? 
Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's a kind of a great place to jump off because it was really that case report that for me started this inquiry because I was really looking at a very common condition, thoracic outlet syndrome, and beginning to read about how nerve pathology affects uh, folks uh, and, you know, so getting informed about carpal tunnel and sciatica and entrapment conditions. At the same time, I was beginning to, I was just out of school, uh, and I was beginning to uh, come back to the school and work there uh, and, and teach little tutorials, and I actually got to go up to the cadaver lab at Bastyr University and, and help out up there. And I started looking at, at the, the nerve tissue in these uh, cadavers, and they were, you know, dissected with a typical method, but even there, I, I began to see things I've just never seen an anatomy book. Uh, uh, little bits of connective tissue around nerves that are sort of cleaned away uh, when you uh, when you depict them in, in an anatomy text. And I realized how much of a construction any dissection is uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the anatomy that we all work with and that we base our whole treatment model on. Uh, and so, uh, and so the more that I sort of got into practice, I became interested in, like, okay, uh, well, if we have this nervous system and it's just mechanically connected uh, throughout our whole body, uh, and if it's, in fact, uh, oftentimes co-located with the thickest, most dense, deep fascia, there's got to be some kind of uh, mechanical connection between them. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, you start doing research on that, but then here's the big problem with research. Uh, anytime you decide to do it, is that you find out very quickly that your own ideas are completely unoriginal and uh, somebody else thought of them mm -hmm. 30 years ago and mm -hmm. in much greater detail. Mm -hmm. uh, and then once you get over that, you, you, you kind of let, <laughs> you kind of mm -hmm. deepen the process. And uh, uh, and so the whole neurofascia thing is just my way of uh, of depicting this, uh, this whole kind of anatomy that uh, we don't have a great amount of access to uh, in, our, in our modern conception of the nervous system, uh, we tend to think of nerves like like computer wires, um, really just conveyors of information. Uh, and we, at least in our basic training, don't usually think of how the nerves move within us when we uh, when we go through our motions. Uh, you know, if you look, if you open a yoga movement text. Uh, you'll see depictions of muscles and uh, maybe of fascia. So if you go to the back of Tom Meyer's anatomy trains, you'll see uh, tracts of connective tissue uh, depicted in yoga poses, and and that's really uh, that's really helpful. But um, oftentimes the mechanical nervous system is difficult to visualize uh, as having an effect on our emotion, and that's completely at odds with some of the research findings that we're finding about nerves. We're finding that nerve stress, a mechanical effect on the nervous system, plays a large role and sometimes plays a primary role in a lot of chronic pain, a lot of chronic movement dysfunction. Uh, and, uh, and so it's been sort of this ongoing exploration of mine is, uh, well, what is this relationship? Uh, if you look at uh, the nervous system and try to... Uh, I go back to, okay, what is it in the body? Where does the nervous system hook into the fascial system? And what does that mean for us in palpation? What does that mean for us in, uh, 
and understanding mechanisms of injury and understanding like long-term disease processes. You know, that's fascinating too. I have a mild, uh, I'm sorry, I have a client with MS who definitely, who benefits tremendously from myofascial type work. And um, I bet that your neurofascia type of body work would probably benefit MS patients all over. The other thing about the, this uh, cadaver, not all massage students uh, really explore the cadaver. They may do a field trip. It, it wasn't until I didn't really appreciate it myself until I had the opportunity to work with some, um, a few of my colleagues and we, we purchased our own cadaver and spent, you know, 16 hours, uh, you know, doing the dissection because massage therapists, what I've noticed is we dissect differently. We want to see different structures and we have an appreciation of some structures that uh, heretofore have been just cut through because they don't care about the fascia. They just, it's a, it's a tissue they just want to push out of the way a lot of the times and not, uh, but what we did was we experienced the fascia as we um, broke through it and you develop a really keen um, appreciation of the fascia and all the connective tissue when you do the dissection yourself, a prosection, as it's called. Have you had that same experience? I have. You know, Elena, I haven't been as lucky as you. I've never done. Um, I've never done a lot of my own dissection in cadaver, uh, and so I've usually been sort of the instructor doing the guided tour of a of a cadaver that has been um, expertly dissected by someone over at the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, and you're right, there's a real difference there because when you yourself have to do the separation or the presentation, not only do you get to make choices as to what to remove and what to keep, but you also get yourself into the mindset of the very people who sort of gave us the anatomy that then makes it into our textbooks and makes it mm-hmm. into our, our uh, popular understanding of what we are as human beings. Exactly. This is something that, you know, this is something that, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard of Gil Headley, you know. Uh, sure. He's, he's really built a career around uh, around doing dissections that, uh, that emphasize the kind of continuities that are most relevant to body workers. That's the right. The systemic connections and the sort of the textural differences between layers. Uh, and it's just, it's just amazing uh, on this level, and it really relates to where we are as a profession on the whole, that we're beginning to actually go out and create the, the anatomical knowledge and the research knowledge that doesn't just inform our work, but is actually based on our work. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have these needs as therapists to, you know, uh, to, to discover more keenly what we're working with, and now we're actually going out and finding that primary information in the cadaver or in the research literature that's based on how we do massage. Mm-hmm. I think nerves are scary too for, to a lot of massage therapists. And I know I noticed on your website you are teaching classes and are the classes all in Seattle? Uh, they're not all in Seattle. They've been primarily so uh, only because, you know, that's home base and, uh, and it's, it's still early for me in teaching these workshops. Uh, I, I'm hoping to film a lot more of them and sort of put them online for free, so uh, so that you know folks can get a better sense of what I'm doing in Seattle. Um, and I've and I've done some stuff in Chicago and, and, and New Jersey and other places like that. Uh, I think 
you know, I think nerves are scary, and I think part of that is that usually, you know, first term of massage school, if you or I are trying to figure out a way to train people how to do massage from the get-go, it's not a bad thing to say, hey, don't push on nerves, uh, because when you're starting out, um, it's impolite and potentially injurious to press on places where nerves, major nerves are exposed or otherwise compromised. Um, pretty soon, though, you realize that nerves are everywhere. You know, everywhere that you have motor control, everywhere that you have function, there's nerve tissue. Uh, and so you actually can't do massage without working on nerves. Uh, and more to the point, um, all the places... As you, as you get into body work, all the places where you find yourself working more frequently or the places where people seem to need the work are really coinciding with major nerves. Uh, and so, you know, people talk about piriformis uh, and, and there's this gigantic sciatic nerve right there. Um, you know, above and below, there's, there's major nerves exiting the sacrum. People talk about psoas and and sometimes we forget that the whole lumbar plexus is just perforating through that psoas muscle. Mm-hmm. People talk about the suboccipitals, right, at the base of the head. And, you know, if I'm receiving a massage, you could just spend the whole hour mm-hmm. just gripping the bottom of my head and I would not complain. Right. Uh, and there's, and there's these, uh, these greater and lesser occipital nerves coming up over the head. Uh, all the places, at least from in my practice, that I was naturally gravitating towards working. Um, not only had nerves, but I think coincided with major places where nerves were getting entrapped. Right. And so uh, for me, it's always been a process of, okay, well, if I'm going to work there, can I uh, can I visualize more keenly what I'm touching with my fingers? Uh, can I work safely there? Mm-hmm. Can I work in a way that's relaxing and and not taxing on my intellect? I don't want to be stuck in my head when I'm doing body work. I want to have a model that is that is flexible enough that I can be an artist within that. You know, the nerves, Sue, when you're in the cadaver, though, do you realize how strong the nerves are? They're really the strongest tissue that you're uh, touching in this in this cadaver, and and they're there. The fact that they're still there a year later, uh, you know, is testament to their strength. They actually are in the normal uh, persons, you know, without disease. I'm talking about the regular nervous system, the peripheral nerves are quite strong. I learned early on from when I was still at the Swedish Institute, I learned early on that there's a way to, when nerves are under a lot of pressure, for instance, in the thoracic outlet, carpal tunnel situations, piriformis, that you actually get a lot of, there's a benefit to doing this. Uh, I learned it, it was called nerve release strokes, and I still use them, I still teach them. And it's actually putting a lot of pressure on a nerve for a short period of time and then letting off on it very quickly. And it actually, what it does is it stuns the, the muscle for a moment, which uh, makes the muscle contract and relax quickly, and it takes the pressure off the nerves. So, I mean, if you learn how to do that properly, you really can relieve pressure on a, a especially this the nerves that are being squeezed by very tight, deep muscle structures. So nerves are pretty tough. They can take a, a licking and keep on ticking. Yeah, no, it's true that nerves are really um, quite dense tissue. I, I love I love that description of technique. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's amazing how many different uh, variations of things like that people just sort of do intuitively. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I remember just reading a study recently where 
where they, you can take a cadaver and do sort of a minimal dissection of, of the back of the leg uh, and, and sort of and then just keep the leg straight, but dorsiflex and flex the foot. And if you look up at the hip, at the sciatic nerve, you know, all the other tissues are stationary. The gluteus maximus, the femur, all these other tissues are not really engaging. But the sciatic nerve itself is is sliding visibly right mm-hmm. you know, and in the back of the leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not only are they tough, but oftentimes nerves and or the, the fascia right next to the nerve is a primary transmitter of force. Mm-hmm. across great distances in the body. Right. I just, I love them. Yeah. I think that nerves are, are great and you should jump in that cadaver, Don, and get over your fear. No, oh, I didn't say I was scared. I just said it's scary for some therapists. Yeah, well, as a beginner, you know, you think of the nerve as being a very delicate tissue and I'm here to say that I found out differently uh, in the exploration, especially um, er, since I learned to, to, to work them so it's not a- aggressive in a bad way. It's just really telling the nerve who's the boss here, okay? And it's a way to use both um, deep pressure with a quick release as well as percussion, a very underutilized, in my opinion, uh, of the Swedish massage realm, very underutilized stroke. And you can see in the books that were written about massage from uh, the er- early 1900s, it was all about percussion and vibration in the treatment of neuralgias, you know, and this is a very, still a very highly effective technique if you do it rhythmically and you do it properly. I'm just a very old-fashioned uh, Swedish uh, massage you know, therapist there that I feel like a lot of schools are diluting the original Ling's original notations. You know, he didn't do five strokes. He did 19 strokes and he had them all documented as Swedish. <laughs> and I don't think enough of that's been translated or carried on through our modern massage therapy training. That's just, that's just my little hit on it. Elaine, do you think, I mean, this is just my, this is a real question. Do you think that it's, do you think it's related to just the sheer explosion in the population of massage therapists that as you kind of you need, you know, you need all these new schools, you need new faculty, uh, and, and so what gets translated or what gets kind of scaled up in that model is just the, the basic uh, techniques and you lose a lot of the deeper traditions? That, that's correct. And also the, the growth of the profession, not having enough teachers from the old days, you know, from that, that time where the, there's a lot more European influence on the body work, uh, it's as if that we had so much growth in the profession and a lot of those teachers have died off, you know. Uh, also, I think if you're trained in Canada, uh, you're going to get a lot more of the uh, techniques that came out of England and France and Germany. Uh, where they, you know, where they still do this type of technique under the uh, the names of physiotherapy and kinesiotherapy. Uh, like is the French version. These folks uh, I was lucky enough to mentor with in New York back in the seventies. They're the ones that had that that training from sort of old school. You see, and I just don't think there were enough of those folks around to teach the the masses of uh, at massage and the massage therapy schools today. So today, the student has to rely on these trademark names, uh, biofascial release and trigger point therapy and, and all these. But I don't see a separation between Swedish massage that I learned and so-called treatment work. To me, it's all treatment work. That's true. I mean, I, I, that's, that's something that I, I try and say a lot is that don't buy into the little divisions that we create in our minds. That, and it's something we're finding in the research world as well, um, much to my surprise, that you know, when you do studies between, uh, you know, between 
one modality of massage and another modality of massage to measure things like pain reduction or daily functionality or bothersomeness of symptoms, there's a whole lot less difference in the effect of these techniques than we might think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for example, I really love to do and believe in structural bodywork techniques or orthopedic work and ligament treatment and stuff like that. But And so I'm, I'm kind of surprised when I read these studies, but it's, it's something that's really kind of feeding back into what you're saying, that, that as far as physiological effects, basic, well-done Swedish massage is is oftentimes just as transformative for somebody's physiology, just as beneficial for their health. And and I think we're under, this is something that Chris Moyer, researcher, talks about a lot, is I think we're underappreciating the impact of our effect on people's nervous systems, our effect on people's stress response when it comes to just, you know, overall health. It's a, it's a question, and this is, you know, if you're okay, me asking you a question, Elaine, this is, this is a... Uh, something I've seen from a lot of folks who did training back in the back in the seventies and eighties. There's a real sense of um, I don't know what you call it. There's a real sense of of uh, both a sense that back in the day that it was a smaller community and the folks who were in it were really into it. They really sought out the training that they needed. They really took it upon themselves to expose themselves to. Uh, uh, to both whatever research was out there, but also expose themselves to, uh, you know, the in-depth traditions and there's a sense of like, oh my goodness, there's there's just a, a ton of new therapists in the field and they're, and they're not getting the kind of depth that I got back in the day. Um, is that is that your feeling, that, that there's sort of a, a dilution of, of overall knowledge across the massage profession right now? Yeah, I think that dilution is probably the best word that I can come up with because of, you know, just even in at uh, uh, even in the school where I teach, uh, Boulder College, it's been around for a while. It's one of the older schools, but even there, the Swedish massage, I'm always complaining that it's, it's too basic. Um, but they do it that way just to prepare them for the what's called normalization of soft tissue which was, you know, brought to our school by Clint Chandler, a Seattle guy there. Um, We've had a couple of Seattle uh, folks come out from Seattle to teach, and we just love them. I mean, they've done a lot for our curriculum, but they are very, um, I find them very into these sort of trademark um, techniques that really don't utilize Swedish massage. And you could come out of the session having had just the whole session of myofascial release, which is nice, but it's not, to me, it's not massage therapy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, and this is just, you know, as speaking as one of a younger generation of massage therapists, and I really, I feel like I, I graduated massage school seven years ago, eight years ago, so not that long ago, and, and really in the middle of that just crush of, of new massage therapists, I, my relationship to, you know, all the all the brand names and all the, you know, everybody's got their own special name for a technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, is on the one hand, is you know, I'm, I'm not enthralled by it because it's always been there for me. Uh, as far as when I was a massage therapist, that was kind of the way it was. And I see, I see kind of two sides of that coin. On the one hand, you've got tons more people in the country actually getting benefit from massage therapy because of the folks out there. Um, and then you've got this real challenge. It's really a challenge that extends beyond massage therapy around how do you get quality information? How do you get teaching 
to scale up to the demands of a profession that has just grown by leaps and bounds. I talk to a lot of faculty around the country, and, and most of the time, this is my experience as a teacher as well, you know, we don't really get a lot of training in how to plan our lessons or how to how to transmit what was given to us much greater scale. Most teachers that I know are, are teaching to larger groups than they themselves were part of in school. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's this, it's, it can, you know, to kind of, you know, and I'm looking at this partially from perspective of, you know, my mother is an integrated physician, and uh, and and this is a challenge that kind of goes beyond the massage world, is how do you take this explosion of information um, and make it manageable and make it uh, land for people uh, when you've got that many more therapists around the country? It's not an easy uh, proposition. Um, I think there's promise, though. You, you talk about percussive techniques, you know, the kinds of people that are that are becoming massage therapists now, I think one nice thing is that they're they're coming from a really wide swath of population. So, for example, I know a, I know a student who just uh, just graduated about a year ago, and uh, he's a he's a conga player, and his, you know he comes from a really sciencey type family, but he but he really he really spent you know the first little while just as a, as a musician and he's developed a whole bodywork style based on uh, based on uh, the lessons that he learned from being a conga player. However, not only did he do that, but he also had the interest and drive to, to write up a case study on it. So that was, you know, that was what he did in his massage school case report was, was to really expose this technique in this, in this uh, scientific vessel and uh, and thus, you know, really help a lot of other people understand how he thinks about percussion, how he thinks about vibration, and how that might affect the human body physiologically. Mm. So, yeah, I, you know, this is it. We, while appreciating uh, the old style, we also have a great appreciation for what our young students are bringing in uh, to the profession today. And while there's nothing new under the sun, and we've said this over and over, I mean, you could call your technique whatever you want to. Somebody did it before. Um, you know, you could look at people like Heida Brennicke, you know, I bet her massage was quite incredible and a lot of it very old school, but very classic, you see. And, and think of the, I always think of the, the hundreds of people who studied with her and, and some of the old timers that, that just, you know, and going back to the research, Swedish massage has been shown when it's tested against some of the more specific techniques as getting to, getting as much benefit, it may take the person a little longer to get the benefit by a couple of weeks. It looks like, um, but people are getting the same benefit as far as relief of pain and how much relief of pain they're getting. We did a study on carpal tunnel. One group received um, back massage and both arms. The other group received just a specific work on just the arm that was affected. Both groups. Uh, you know, showed as much improvement. The Swedish or general versus specific took a couple of weeks longer. So it is very interesting when we do research, kind of research on the research, you know, research on our own profession and our own techniques. So uh, I just find it very interesting. Michael, with the neurofascia, do you find, uh, what are your, what conditions have you seen that have received profound results with this type of work? Yeah, well, I think obviously the first place that, that my mind goes with, with neurofascia is anytime you've got a condition that is a bona fide 
uh, nerve entrapment condition or a neuroinflammatory condition. I, I see a big case to be made for sort of orienting your body work towards nerves and towards their facial connections. That means that, you know, when you've got somebody with symptoms of sciatica uh, and, uh, you know, what we typically learn on about sciatica is, you know, entrapment here at the piriformis or at small sciatica or entrapment up at the lumbar nerve roots. And it pays a lot to really think of that cannibal continuity from spinal cord all the way down to the bottom of the foot. I realize you're working with the connected system. Uh, same thing is true of thoracic outlet or carpal tunnel. People talk about tarsal tunnel syndrome sometimes, which is where the tibial nerve is kind of curling back behind the, the medial malleolus. And, uh, and so that, that's one sort of classic conditions where nerves are becoming... Uh, you know, they're passing through tunnels, they're passing through around curves, and uh, they're under mechanical strain. And, and sometimes with repetitive stress, they get a little bit of inflammation, which causes all kinds of changes to the physiology of a nerve. The nerve can become a little bit puffy. Uh, it becomes less able to tolerate uh, mechanical stress, and it, and it changes its function a little bit with that. Uh, really transformative uh, work uh, is possible. Uh, with a better understanding of what you're working with, how to contact it kindly, uh, and, and then how to sort of assess progress over time. And, of course, this is what uh, people would be learning in your classes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the other thing for me is anytime you're, you know, for me it, it really emerged as a way to kind of combine some of the very disparate things I was learning in other worlds. You know, I was I was very interested in this, Kind of fashional structural stuff uh, going on that you know what the Rolfers and, and and the structural integrators were doing, um, but I was also interested in, in and I was studying a lot of craniosacral techniques and really working with the nervous system on this much more subtle level. But the problem is, like most therapists, you got to figure out a way to do a session that actually makes sense. Uh, and uh, and so for me, it's a way of understanding my intent in the same exact way when working with, you know, the, the cranial dura uh, or when working with the, the median nerve at the carpal tunnel. It's the same tissue. How do I think of it in the same way and, and, and sort of apply the same uh, model to it? So uh, so things like things like headaches, things like temporomandibular disorder, uh, things like postural uh, issues at the spine or nerve root entrapment, this weekend, I'm just prepping a, a new workshop where we're, we're working with spinal nerve roots and sort of the dorsal rami that come out posteriorly and innervate all the paraspinal muscles and the do- lumbodorsal fascia. Uh, so I'm really excited about that one. And for our listeners, his website is neurofascia.com, and there's some great information on there about this technique. Well, I'm, I'm hoping it's it's uh, it's something that uh, you know that we can continue to add you know video content and research articles. So if you're if you're looking for you know a place to at least begin an inquiry in this world, um, you know there's a, there's at least two dozen research articles I've got up there now. Uh, they're all open access. They're all free. So it's, it's more than anything else a place to get some information and get some perspective on 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 this way of looking at the, the nervous system. I have a question for you, Mike. I was looking at your website and it seems like you're working on a very interesting project about a 3D map of the neurofascia. Can you elaborate a little bit about this, please? Yeah. So, as you guys probably know, next month, at the end of March this year, is, is the third uh, International Fascia Research Congress, and it's a, it's 
happening up in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, and I was at the first Congress in 2007 in Boston. That was a really incredible uh, time that I'm happy to talk about. Uh, and this one was close enough that I couldn't say no. So so I decided to try and submit a, an abstract to this conference, and what I'm going to be presenting on uh, in poster form is, is a 3D map of a couple of regions of the nervous system and how they relate to fascial planes. Um, and this really grew out of just a teaching tool. What I would tend to do is sort of project on a, on a whiteboard, you know, a shot from Netter or a shot from Clementi or a shot from some anatomy book of nerves as they're typically depicted, which is these yellow floating filaments, unconnected really to their neighboring tissues. And then what I would do is use a, use a a marker and draw in a fascial plane that was removed by dissection. Um, and that's got some benefit for conceiving of what you're working with and you know, how do you get your hands on that fascial plane, how do you hook into that tissue. Uh, and what I decided to try and do was to do that digitally in 3D with uh, real nerve and connective tissue relationships. So I, I took a visible human project, which is this a 3D map of, or rather it's just a number of slices of, of, a, of a human cadaver. It's like they took a human cadaver and put them in gel and then, yeah, so basically in each, in each, uh, uh, in each slice I would, I'm looking at lumbar plexus, I'm looking at brachial plexus, uh, tibial nerve, and, and in each slice I would sort of label a, a nerve and then label the fascial plane that surrounds that nerve and it extends beyond that nerve and then take those slices and stack them back up in 3D. Uh, and so what you are left with is a rotatable, scalable model, just the nerve and the deep fascial plane. Mm. That's something I'm really excited about. And and it's been, you know, something kicking around for the last couple of years. And, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Well, you see this? I want my students who are listening, graduates that are listening from massage schools everywhere. You know, here's Mike. Been out of school, what, eight years? And, you know, he's already, like, made such a great contribution to our our um, profession and uh, to the research world. And I'm just, you know, listening to you just makes me all the time excited. I mean, I really... I wanted to do, last time I saw you was talking about doing a case report. Talk about all these people with sciatica coming your way. I had about six people with frozen shoulder come my way. And I still, you know, I write it up. I research it a little bit. I still have to get off my butt and finish this uh, re- case re- series that, I want, that I'm doing. But I keep going back to, the, to one guy. So I might end up doing a case report. However, you know, this uh, every little bit that we can do is going to help. So if you're listening out there and I know you are, you know, it doesn't matter how long you've been out of school. Uh, you know, if you're getting your hands on people, write good, take good soap charting notes and write about them. And you never know, you know, uh, also I wanted to say, uh, and Mike, you can talk about this too. Mike, uh, what is your, I mean, there's a lot of, of resource, available at the massagetherapyfoundation.org on their website. And are you a member of the board there? I know you're a part of that. Yeah. What are you doing besides yeah. uh, writing these days? What are you doing with the Massage Therapy Foundation? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a trustee with the foundation and a, and a committee member. And, uh, and you know, the, the Massage Therapy Foundation is uh, just an incredible organization and, and it's 
part of what, you know, when you hear in my voice this kind of that talking, breathless excitement about massage therapy and research and stuff like that, um, it's not that I, it's, it's not that I, I, this is all I do with my life, but it's, it's so amazing to be in connection with people that are so dedicated uh, that I can't help it. Uh, and, and the Massage Therapy Foundation is really the center of that world for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, they're they're based in Chicago, but they're serving the whole massage profession, uh, and and they they're really all about three things: research, education, and community service. Uh, what they do is they sort of foster these grants uh, for community service programs around the country. We just found it, funded a, uh, a program for I think working on homeless population in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, we do all kinds of stuff around research uh, and especially around getting the research literature to explore the questions and the 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 patterns that really matter to massage therapists. You know, if you're like me, you read a lot of research studies and some of them are kind of boring. Mm. Um, and, and the reason they're boring usually is because they don't actually ask questions that matter to me, the massage therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what, if, if you read a re- if you find a study that really gets to something you've been wondering about, uh, you'll find a way to read it. Even if you don't understand every word, you'll read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the kind of research we want to support at the foundation. Um, and so we do that in a number of ways. We give out research grants. We do these case report contests. Uh, we we have a bunch of resources for teachers of massage therapy uh, who are looking to up their research chops. We do a workshop. With, we're partnering with ABMP now, a workshop called Teaching Research Literacy. And, and we also have a free... Uh, this is a big thing for any massage therapists out there who want to get a little bit more knowledge uh, about research. We, we just launched an online course. I think it's 80 bucks uh, for a, a really in-depth course called Basics of Research Literacy. That's great. Uh, and I'm really excited about it. Um, and, then, and then we also do, uh, uh, we have a free online open access research journal that just got indexed in PubMed. Mm-hmm. So the foundation is, is this organization. I think we have four paid staff members uh, and uh, and just doing an incredible amount for massage therapists out there. Right now, you know, a real resource for anybody who's, who's interested in how do I get, how do I take my, my practice to the next level? How do I connect with other folks who are interested in the same things I'm interested in? Uh, and, uh, it's had some. It's been blessed with some really amazing leadership over the last few years. That's for sure. John Boletto and then mm-hmm. Thompson and now Ruth Werner is, is, is uh, leading the foundation. Yes, we had Ruth on the show, one of our first shows, and we talked about foundation. Uh, Jan Schwartz on there. You got um, Geraldine uh, Cambron, lovely, lovely woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, she wrote an article, um, how to write a case report. Absolutely. Very and helpful is, and available on yeah, the uh, on that, the website. Yeah, and, and, and these are folks that, that are you know they're busy, busy people, uh, and and a lot of them are you know in massage practice or they're or they're uh, they've got other things going on, but they put a lot of time and energy into into this foundation work because you know they really get it. This is mm-hmm. this is not about some small segment of. Nerds in the 
massage world who are, you know, <laughs> who, you know, who like to curl up by the fire with a hot toddy and a research paper. Right. Um, this is about therapists who, who, uh, who don't feel like they're, who are tired of having the same conversations with their clients about, this is what massage therapy is. This is what I do. Um, we're tired of having to kind of beat their heads against the wall with their paycheck, you know, uh, who are tired of being sort of marginalized in this healthcare world where the benefits of massage and the safety of massage is so uh, unbelievably underrepresented uh, in, in the healthcare world. That's it. Um, and it's not like there's an agenda out against us. It's just that nobody knows because we haven't told them. Right. And, and, uh, and, and this is all about what the foundation is trying to do, is to try and find ways to develop uh, uh, our knowledge into a way that's accessible to people outside the profession and really deepening our own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's uh, you know, every time I think about those folks and the work they do, it's, it's really incredible. Amazing. Um, I'm, I'm just, uh, just working with, uh, with the Best Practices Committee um, at the Massage Therapy Foundation, which is, and they're doing one of the, I think one of the sneakiest, uh, uh, and I say sneaky in a way that uh, it's, not obvious to me, at least initially, how it was, how, how transformative it can be. But what they're doing is they're developing a way to to take basic practice knowledge, that is the way we all do body work, and integrate it with research findings, and then and then get it uh, out into the world and open for comment. So it's it's a way for like open, authentic representation of massage knowledge in a way that actually produces better research studies, produces legislation mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, that, that serves our profession and gets us uh, better able to treat the people who need body work. I blame you know, that. You know people in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I blame that on the state of Washington, you guys out there. Um, you know, the, the state of Washington massage therapists have always been, in my opinion, the most organized, the most... Uh, they the most uh, they've started so many good things. They started really AMTA. They started the Massage Therapy Foundation. Uh, they uh, started the National Certification for Therapeutic Massage and Body Work. I mean, there's such you're just so tight out there. The schools talk to each other. They they've done um, projects together. I just have a great uh, admiration for uh, you guys and what you're doing out there. And as and as far as research. Or I should say, um, what was the last thing you just talked about as this, uh, you know, practice, best practices? I was in part of the, a subcommittee called, uh, it was like best pa- practices, standards of care, it was called. So, and that was that long ago. And we, you know, folks that you probably know out there, and we were all working towards trying to come up with the best practices for massage therapy. Well, let me tell you, we were at a, a convention or something, I don't remember, we got 25 people in our room. It was a breakout session. And we said, okay, everybody, five groups of five people each. Tell us how you treat massage, what you, you know, how you treat a headache with massage therapy. And they all felt, we all started off feeling like, well, my techniques are so unique. I don't know if anyone, and you know what? We came up with five groups of people, all with very, very similar approaches to treating headache. So I think it showed us that we're more alike than we think we are, you know? And that the way to treat a headache is pretty much the same 
all over. The other thing that I think is important to note is that the Massage Therapy Foundation, for anybody out there who wants a grant, who wants the money to do uh, like that great thing that they did, somebody decided, I'm going to go and work on people in the homeless shelter for Pete's sake. I mean, they started off, I think, and they got a, what, a $5,000 grant. And the study went so well that they gave them additional funds to, to do more of that. And anybody out there right now, if you have a population that you want to work with, if you have an individual that you want to work with, you can get grants from $5,000 all the way up to, I think, $40,000 uh, for a bigger study, a pilot study or something. You know, it's just out there. You fill out the forms. You ask for the money. If you've got your ducks in a row, there's, there's money available from Massage Therapy Foundation. Michael, we uh, like to give our listeners here at Massage Podcast uh, a tip of the week and or a tip of the show. And can you think tip of, of the day? Tip of the day. Can you think of anything you'd like to convey to our listeners today? Well, I, I'll go back to this. Uh, I've been sort of meditating on this quote from Ida Rolf uh, that, that I read uh, last year, and uh, it's it basically she, she said during one of her lecture, she said, the best thing I can do for you is to give you comfort with uncertainty. I'm trying to give you the idea that it's okay to be uncertain. Mm -hmm. So, and that, that translates into teaching massage therapy. Um, it translates into doing it, into talking about it. Uh, don't be afraid of the words I don't know. It's, it's the most incredible moment for me when I'm in front of a classroom and somebody says, well, what about this? And my eyes get wide and I say, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And just let that hang. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm working on somebody's body and they say, well, what are you doing there? And I could say, oh, well, uh, you know, or <laughs> I could say, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And it's just, it just stimulates this, this, this curiosity and makes you fall in love with it even that much more. So that's, I would say that. I have one last question. Do you have any upcoming workshops, uh, Mike? Well, I'm doing one on, you know, spinal rib cage this weekend. Uh, and then at the end of, uh, or at the beginning of March, I'm doing a, a teaching research literacy workshop in Seattle. Those are my two upcoming. That's great advice, Michael. Thank you. We'd like to thank you so much for being on our show today, the Massage Podcast. You can find us at massagepodcast.com online. And you can contact us on our contact page there, or you can leave a voicemail or send a text message to 303-656-9860. Uh, I just want to say you guys are doing great work. I love the podcast. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Really appreciate you joining us today, Mike. And I'll catch up with you sometime soon. And we'll have a link for his website on our website, massagepodcast.com. And uh, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a thumbs up on those, on those places. And uh, everybody have a fabulous day. 